is from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look with, have looked upon, and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. safety or health is the primary circumstance. And there is real legitimacy in something like that. And what a blessing it is to be able to have uh, technology, to be able to connect, even if it is sort of a band-aid, a situation where we can't all be together. What an opportunity to reach out beyond our own families, the church, the world around us. The online evangelism keeps and goes on because of those things. The events of those past 13 months have been horrible with the death and the destruction and breaking of so much. But I do believe at least one good thing that can come out of this for people is the gospel, a unique way that has not happened before. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we miss our brethren. And we need to pray for those who are needy, to encourage those who are needy. But you know, there has been something going on since the beginning of the church that hasn't changed a whole lot in 2,000 years, and that's brethren leaving. Maybe someone is hurt by someone else or they feel forgotten or neglected. We just don't always know why someone leaves. But we miss them. You know, other times that, that reason is too painfully Perhaps John says it best in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. 
if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. See, John is writing to a congregation that has a major problem. There's been a split. The family of God has been fractured. People who were there just a short time ago participating in worship, maybe leading a Bible class or or, or providing a meal during one of their daily get-togethers, they're gone. And there's been some tension. In fact, there has been a whole lot. When you read 1 John, you get the distinct impression that the brethren who had left had caused an awful lot of difficulty. Notice, for example, in 1 John 1 and verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. They boast that they have fellowship with God but walk in darkness. Notice verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So they boast that without sin they try to lie a lot. Chapter 2 and verse 4, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. They boast that they know God, but they're disobedient. In verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. They boast they're in the light, but they hate their brother. And in chapter 4 and verse 20, we see yet more. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. They boast that they love God, but hate their brothers and sisters. Those are the people of God. The church split. And when you read through that list and think about the kind of people, it's it's it's, it's kind of like a, there was a, a small country town in Colorado where I grew up, and there was a speed system when the railroad where where you could have a, a alfalfa and especially grain dropped onto a train, and there was a sign on the main thoroughfare to get over that uh, rail line that says, do not park on the tracks. And that sign didn't used to be there. In fact, it seems kind of like one of those obvious things that, yeah, you're not going to park on railroad tracks. Trains don't stop. They don't yield to the car. But eventually that sign was put up there. And the reason is that they hated God. 1 John is kind of like that where, where you read the description of the, of, of the problems. John isn't just writing these things by saying, oh, by the way, this is wrong, don't do this. We all know that hate. 
we know that to walk in the light, to claim that we're sinless and that we never sin is wrong. John is writing these things as descriptors of the people who have done these atrocities. And it became such a problem that it caused a split. And in one sense, as you read through 1 John, you see that that is a blessing from God to separate those who are acting and behaving in such a way and teaching things that are so dangerous. But the church is still hurting. And what 1 John, you know, it's funny, 1 John, he says so many times, I write to you because. In fact, in the first four verses of 1 John, that which we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with the Son, uh, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these such things so that our joy may be complete. And yet in chapter 2 and verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Verse 14, I write to you, fathers. We have these I write to you's and because. And usually when we look at a letter, you have that, you know, when... How about John's gospel? These things are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, uh, having all these signs that he's talking about, and believe that you might have life in his name. Simple. You look at the the gospel of John through that lens. But 1 John has like 13 different places where he says, I write to you because of this. And all of them look at different aspects, focusing on different ideas, but what has happened is a church split. They have gone out from unity. And what John is doing is encouraging a broken church congregation. A church split is dangerous. You think about when things like that happen, there's a lot of questioning, a lot of self-reflection. Shouldn't we strive for unity? Were we not patient enough uh, with them? Are, Are we in the wrong? And all of these things can go through our minds when people leave the church. John is writing to a hurting church. A church that's gone Chapter 1 and verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Uh, Chapter 2 and verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but all uh, for the sins of the whole world. Chapter 3 and verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Chapter 4 and verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And God is love. Chapter 4 and verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Chapter 5 and verse 13, I write these things, there's another one to you, 
who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And what if we must encourage little letters in your letter? This morning, for just a little bit of your time, I want us to observe three fundamental elements of the Lord's Supper. And especially, especially in our By the way, the songs that are sung this morning, they teach everything that this lesson is about to teach us. The prayer, especially the prayer that Roland led a little bit ago, is so heartbreaking. But I think it's because so few of us pray it. In fact, these three elements of John are one of those lists that's hard to outline simply just go, one, two, three, three, three. Because there's a nuance to this lesson that does speak to us as believers and how we need to live our faith and live our confession and our celebration of Christ. And these three concepts were key to all three elements of the Lord's Supper. Number one, moral faithfulness to God earned in the congregation. In fact, look at chapter three. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Consider again for a moment the people who have left. Chapter 1 and verse 6, they walked in darkness. Chapter 2 and verse 6, walking as Jesus walked. See the contrast? Notice again. We have no sin, chapter 1 and verse 8, says the truth's not in us. Verses claiming to know God and not keeping his commandments means the truth is not in them. Look at 2 and verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So you have 1 in verse 6, 2 in verse 6, 1 in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then 2 and verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does, does, does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And then 1 and verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 3 and verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole Claim by some to believe that they don't have any sin anymore is a poor moral indicator. We have not sinned. Going in direct contradiction, going direct opposite of what Scripture teaches from Genesis 3 onward. 
is that we as people mess up. We have done things that are wicked. We have done things that are evil. We have done things that hurt. cleanses us when we mess up. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 1 John 4.6 We live in a world that joyfully broadcasts the forgiveness of God. Praises it's easy for us to ask what happened? Didn't things used to be better? Where was the shift? Where was the change? But I do believe that the uh, Ephesian letter helps us. Paul writes to the Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 and fuels this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, what is Paul, the apostle, used to be the, the uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, the Pharisee of Pharisees, as to the law, blameless, all of these things that uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, all this stuff. because of the great love with which he loved us. God, Emmanuel, God Christ, God changed, God fixed. The challenge is to walk. Whoever says in 1 John 2, verse 6, he abides in him and he walks in him. Thank you. 
could very easily draw our minds back to John chapter 13, 34 and his commandments, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And what it does also is it brings both those two great commandments of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Deuteronomy 6, 5, and love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19 and verse 18, bringing them together saying, on these hang all the law and the prophets, but it is new in strength because the darkness, John says here in 1 John, is passing away and the true light is already shining. those other things are passing away. One cannot be in the light and hate his brother. That one is in darkness. That is what's passing away. You're going to stumble because of the truth. By the way, if you look at 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. In 15 through 17, he emphasizes the wrong kind of love that takes the place of that old commandment, that new commandment. children, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you studious men with care This is the message that you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Do you see what John's saying here? We ought to have that same kind of love that Jesus had for us when he laid down his life for us. Again, in chapter 4, 
and verses 7 through 12, that great love section. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Think about that for just a moment. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. Remember what the Gospel of John, 1 John uh, chapter 1, uh, speaks about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory the only begotten of the Father. He has made him manifest. Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you have what? Seen the Father. And here in 1 John, God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God was made manifest, verse 9, and this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. But then verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Our love resemble his love. God's love is seen through us. How is God's love made known? Made known. It's supposed to be in our love. Jesus made the Father known. Uh, John 1.18 Now the unseen God who once revealed himself in his Son reveals himself in his people. If a liar. 
but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. There is a danger in this. It's dangerous that these hypocrites have, have come in. So dangerous that the people are referred to by John. They're termed anti-Christ or anti-Messiah. And this whole section here really is a powerful word play, if only for the fact that when the Jews are looking for the Messiah, they're looking for the Christ, they're looking for God's anointed. And it goes back to our Bible class that we went over. God's anointed. And yet he says to the Christians, he's been anointed by the Holy Spirit, by God's anointing. Powerful play on words there. He says, if you don't have him. In fact, isn't that exactly what he says? Look at the nature of what they're doing. They're denying that Jesus is the Christ. They're, they deny the Father and the Son. They deny the Son, and thus they do not have the Father. It is only the Son who can reveal the Father and to us and make us like Jesus. It's also brought up, as I said, they keep going back to these again and again. Look at the book in chapter 4. Notice chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. These are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. For this we know the spirit of truth and evil desires. Notice that the spirit of God is always the one who confronts doubt and makes us believe. Back in verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested among us. God sent his only son to make his son as his atonement for our sins. In verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Notice repeatedly the emphasis is on the fact that Christ actually is come. He actually is God. He really truly did die. Finally, look at chapter 5. recognizing the, the, the world that we live in, and recognizing where we need to be, and pleading with God to help us to walk the way that he wants us to walk. And understanding that there is a good God who loves us, 
who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. There's the third one. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey the commandments that he commanded. There's the first one. All three verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Have you ever thought about that? By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey the commandments. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. It all flows together. Faithful living, brotherly living, and believing in Jesus Christ as Son of God. And he continues on. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God?
book that are written as you're reading through it, you start to side with this person, and then by the end of the book, you realize that's actually the bad guy that you sided with the first time. It's, it's that kind of shocking moment that you get when you read through and you say, wait a second, what is this really referring to when it says this is what